we think about what the other person's experiencing, what is going on in their world? How can I be a kind person, a thoughtful person, an empathic person? If we were promoting that a little bit more nowadays, like there'd be a lot less honking on the streets. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast episode. I am your host, Jeff Steppen. For you new listeners, welcome aboard. And for you guys who've been sticking with me for the last seven odd years, welcome back to another episode. Today, I have a special guest by the name of Miriam Campbell. You know, I've always been interested in having people on the show who have truly crafted interesting niches or paths for themselves and Miriam is no exception to this in addition to being a speech pathologist she is also a certified social worker and she obtained that second degree to help her on her professional journey as you'll hear her area of expertise is in social cognition and she very early on had a burning desire to go beyond the mere teaching of quote-unquote social skills she wanted she needed to get a deeper understanding of that why and more importantly, how to teach that why to our clients. You'll hear that in just a few minutes. Miriam is primarily a consultant at this point in her career. You can find her website at skillsforconnection.com. Now, before we get into that episode, I have a brief word from a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Simple Practice. Running an SLP private practice is rewarding, but can also be demanding. Simple Practice changes that. As the leading practice management platform for private practice SLPs, Simple Practice helps more than 100,000 health and wellness professionals manage their practice anytime, anywhere. So whether you're new to private practice or already established, Simple Practice is the business partner you have always wanted. This HIPAA-compliant practice management solution helps you focus on what's most important, your clients, by giving you back your time and simplifying the business side of private practice, including scheduling, documentation, billing for private pay or insurance, integrated telehealth, and more. It's an all-in-one package. So sign up today and get your first two months of Simple Practice for free. This exclusive offer is valid for new customers only, so go to simplepractice.com slash conversations in speech to learn more. And now I give you Miriam Campbell. When I was in school, I really didn't know which way I wanted to go. I I really, I was not, I didn't have a clear, you know, vision of, oh, I want to be a speech therapist or, oh, I want to be an astronaut or anything like that. Um, I just knew that I really cared very much about connection and relationships. And I shadowed a bunch of different professionals in different fields and in different settings. And um, I shadowed this one speech therapist, Anita Snow, and she's fabulous. And so I'm just uh, saying her name specifically. So if anyone has opportunity to meet her, where's she lucky. at? She's in Atlanta, Atlanta. Um, where I grew up. Okay. And um, I I just got to see what speech therapy could look like. Just, you know, people who don't know about speech therapy usually just think it's articulation or stuttering or things like that. And um, I got to see how she utilized language to support social skills. And then I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, really be able to hone in on people being able to express who they are and understand who other, who the other is. And 
there's obviously a lot of like logistical components that go into that, you know, with the how to articulate it. And, you know, but to me, the what spoke to me the most was the when and what you're saying and why you're saying it and the, the relationship aspect of it. So that was always my interest. And um, when I start, when I was, you know, doing my CF and my internships, I, really focused on trying to find internships that would give me opportunities and skills and supervisors who were, you know, skilled in the area. And I, I loved it. I really liked that. And I I liked, but then when I started actually working, I found, you know, in the schools and I was working in an ABA clinic with kids, you know, on the spectrum. And I was, I was seeing like a a few different things that I found very frustrating, like early on, early, early on. And uh, one of those things were that I had students in a school, even in a clinic, but in a school, and I had them for my half hour mandates, maybe twice a week. And maybe for my kids in the clinic, the ABA clinic, I had them maybe four times a week. And I would, you know, pour everything that I knew into it, anything I got in my training. And I was going to as many, you know, training courses that I could really feel like confident because at the beginning, everyone feels like I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So that just even... I really invested in in that, and um, but I found that like with my very short mandate, I I wasn't really making progress. So like I thought, okay, maybe I just don't have the skills. So I hired like a supervisor, and I like asked her, someone who I had met and one in my CF, and I like really respected her. Um, and I had asked her like, oh, can you can I talk through my cases, cases, obviously namelessly, and can we try and figure out like help me figure out what my goal should be or what the long term trajectory is, all these different things that were really important to me, but I didn't feel like skilled at. So there was, so that one issue was that I didn't necessarily know if I had the skills. So I had a supervisor that helped that. And then I just felt like I had a mandate to work with the students, but I didn't necessarily see any carryover. So I'd work with the student, bring the student back to the, to the classroom. And with like my very uh, adept social skills, but uh, I would notice that the teachers were not really available to hear anything that I was saying to them. Like they would, you know, try and like give me the second because they they saw they don't care about the students they did like their the teachers were totally devoted but they had a whole class that they had to get back to and then if I tried to call them before school like sometimes I would get them sometimes not they had their own lives their own families obviously and I was very frustrated like I'm doing all this work but it's not really going anywhere and the parents especially because it was in school weren't paying for the for the therapy so they weren't necessarily invested you know invested financially not out of judgment but like they weren't didn't even necessarily even if I reached out to them weren't necessarily like on board or whatever so that was very frustrating to me but then the real thing which made me decide to go back to school that I felt like I needed to do was I found that um, the students who had social skills issues were also diagnosed with ADHD, or if they didn't have ADHD, they also had like some type of family thing going on, or if they didn't have a family thing going on, had like an emotional, you know, regulatory challenge, which I did not feel prepared to, to address. So I went back to school and I learned a ton and, um, I was working in, uh, social work and I was doing the speech component, the, the language cognitive component, and then the social work. I learned all about emotional regulation and I was really happy with them doing really well, but then I still had that same issue of the mandate. Mm. So that was when I, uh, I actually had like, I, I moved into my licensure hadn't yet been transferred. So I had this opportunity, you know, this local school was looking for a teacher and they, 
um, said, would you be willing to teach? And I was like, great, this is my opportunity. Let me get into the classroom and actually see what it's like. Cause I'd been on the, on the therapist side as a social worker, as a speech therapist, and I hadn't really ever tried. What is it like as a teacher? So I was like, okay, all gong ho. I'm going to go in and I'm going to do all my social skills stuff. I'm going to do all my emotional regulation stuff. And I was like totally invested. And I started teaching and I quickly, quickly discovered that um, teachers are our heroes, first of all. (laughs) And second of all, (laughs) I discovered that without like uh, a very clear system in place, it was almost impossible for me to utilize the speech therapy, you know, material that I had understood and learned and was, you know, utilizing in my private practice and in, you know, my work and to be teaching a whole academic curriculum at the same time. And that was really what um, what brought me to what I'm doing now, which is skills for connection. And that is, I looked at my therapy sessions and I really tried to get to the heart of like, what am I doing in my therapy sessions? What language constructs am I supporting my students with? What cognitive constructs am I supporting my students with? What emotional regulatory, executive function, all the different things I was doing in my different roles, what's at the core of it? And how do I get that into the classroom in a way that doesn't then require another thing for the teachers to do, but actually supports them. So that is, but that's what I'm doing now is I'm training therapists, training schools, how to utilize in their classrooms, the same speech concepts and constructs that I was doing in my therapy sessions in the classroom. And um, what I find is it's so amazing because it's, it's this opportunity to sort of like have the teachers who are with the students all day, which took care of my challenge of feeling like I wasn't getting any generalization and it also was a more holistic I found healthy approach so it's it's a social emotional learning uh, curriculum that I de- I describe it as RTI model because if a ther- teacher is utilizing it in their classroom in their academic lesson and then the same student goes to their speech therapy lesson and that therapist is utilizing this method they're getting it one-to-one specific for let's say a tier three student all the way up to their tier one regular academic math lesson, language arts lesson, um, PE even, you know, physical education, whatever phys ed, if it's Canada, whatever yeah. the, the student was getting in the classroom and just a consistent model. So that that I'm like, I'm just so excited about this because I feel like all these challenges, like I, I didn't know like how it was going to fall into, into place. And like, I'm really seeing schools like taking initiation and like, seeing this like okay this can support our staff members and as a teacher I got to see like what what is it that the teachers need for support and things like that so that's pretty much my yeah. story of how I got here <laughs> no, I, there's so much to unpack there and I have so many questions all right let me let me back up for a second sorry um, I should have stopped I sh- no I no uh, I mean that's all great I, I just I just so many places I can uh deviate now to okay so I just, I just want to back up the social work program like when you went to a social work when you got your degree did you look for a program specifically that had a, a, a concentration in social emotional learning or social cognition so yeah good question so what i found was that social work schools in general had um it was either very very uh um like policy type of focus where how do you address in the government making changes and things like that? And that was not really what my passion was. Like, I really wanted to be with my, you know, you know, hands, hands in the dough type of thing. Like I really wanted to be engaging the students, engaging the teachers. So I really focused on clinical 
social work. And because of that, you know, I had to study things about like trauma, which helped me learn a lot about emotional regulation and a lot about things like that. Um, I did learn family systems. I'm just like seeing a larger picture, which I think is part of the RTI model that like now I've really, you know, been invested in is seeing like the school as a community. And I can't even tell you, I'm on all these Facebook groups of, you know, teachers and principals and like the amount that our teachers are are dealing with, especially in this, you know, pandemic type of situation oh, yeah. and all these students that are coming back, it's like, it, it, they really, really do need the support and um, it, not out of any lack of skill, but out of the world has changed so much and being able to like, okay, let's grow with it. And so teaching teachers, emotional regulatory things. And I, I that's how I teach it. I don't say like, okay, we're doing a teacher regulatory thing because I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I, I feel like, but when I do that, I'll, I'll teach the teachers. Okay. This is how you teach it to the students mm-hmm. and through practicing it together, you know, you, especially the self-aware teachers will start recognizing like, Oh, right. And like, per, I'm saying, I'm not saying it like they, I, I think every human being has the opportunity to develop better emotional skills, We're better self-regulatory skills. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. I'm saying like, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I, my son had spilled yogurt all over our new couch and I walked into the room and saw my yogurt splattered couch. And I was like, oh, and he said, mommy, take a deep breath. <laughs> two, two years old. And, um, and because yeah, we're people and, and that's, that's what it's all about. Like one of my first trainings that I do, you know, when, when I'm teaching a school and I'm doing a training for the staff, one of the first trainings we do is sort of uh, this process I see I think I feel I choose and walking us through like even through a failure failed attempt when we didn't necessarily self-regulate okay so now what what is my choice now where where am I now where where do I want to go with this at this point okay I just freaked out at my coworker, or I, I spoke about my boss my principal or I um you know yelled at my neighbor or whatever it is I'm saying we're human and yeah we're not perfect, but okay. So now what, now what, how do I, what do I want to choose now? And that's really something that, um, the feedback I'm getting from teachers and therapists is like, Whoa, like that is huge. Like if we could teach from a social emotional learning perspective that we don't have to stay in our old patterns, we don't have to stay in, um, you know, according to like a diagnosis. And to me, that's really like, there's all this push for, you know, neurodiversity and equity and all these things. If we could like every person inside them, their own selves take responsibility for who they are and how they choose to show up in the world, that all these other, other challenges, um, are, are addressed through that. Like people ask me like, Oh, is your program an equity program? We talk about perspective taking. We talk Mm -hmm. about think I feel we talk about emotional regulation talk about all these things where every human being is responsible to take care of their own self so like I never have to be a victim to what society decides about me or doesn't decide about me Mm -hmm. um or anything like that like I get to choose what am I how am I going to show up at this next moment you know who am I going to be I don't get to choose but I don't get to you know choose what my coworker says I don't get to choose what the parents that I'm working with says i don't get to work with uh choose any of that but i do get to choose who am i going to be as i show up yeah, and that's really what we statement on. yeah yeah i i like that i think especially in these days i think i think people are trying to figure out a path forward in terms of emotional regulation there's i i almost feel like there's um i i, I well it's like while i do feel like it's very important to have a very trauma focused lens 
uh, giving, I think, clients the tools to to improve their lives, to hopefully, I don't want to say overcome, but to find a way to process forward, I think is really important. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, I wanted to ask. That's well you, said. Yeah, that's, that's well said. That's exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Like I'll have students that'll come up to me and they'll say, "Like I have ADHD. My teacher needs to understand." Dot dot dot. And that script that they're walking with, which we're trying to, you know, everyone should understand other people more and be more accepting. But for the student to have that script of they need to understand me is not going to serve them well in life. And that doesn't therefore mean that I don't have compassion for their their struggle. We right. talk through it, we process it, but that's not the that's not the finish line. No. That's the process to get to. Now, who do you choose to be in this moment? Right. You know, and I, I one student that I'm specifically uh, thinking of, and obviously I'll you know a long time ago, and I'll I'll fudge the details. So if you think I'm talking about oh, you, and you're okay. one of my previous clients, I'm I do not that all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, they were telling me that they felt. They felt like, you know, they have no choice. They don't ha- they don't get to choose. They have to they have to act out in the classroom. Everyone needs to understand them. They don't have choice. And I remember working with them and I, I couldn't sit with it because I didn't I didn't really believe that a person had no choice. Not to not to say that it, that it's not a real struggle. And it it came to a point after working with them for a long time and just listening to hear it, listening. I was really trying to hear who they were and who they, what their struggle was. It, you know, the student ended up saying like, "Well, I can control it when I'm anxious," and not that anyone should. Not that we celebrate anxiety as a wonderful whatever, but for the student to start recognizing like, "Oh, I am not a victim to this." situation but i have i can tap into okay so what is happening when i'm anxious what are my thoughts when i'm anxious what's happening in my body when i'm anxious okay so like now i get to like instead of all these things that are happening to me passively now what am i going to take from my anxiety how can i harness that and to be able to address another aspect of my life my adhd which is something i learned from like ifs like internal family system but that is to me life-changing like that that little vignette where I saw like, cause I, I it was so, it was, I, I heard the students struggle. I really heard what they were saying. And I would, the teachers were telling me and everyone was saying that this is a struggle and this child can't control themselves. And I didn't, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to stay there because I didn't believe that was actually a therapeutic approach for my, for my student. That isn't, you know, that acceptance is an important thing, but acceptance to then grow is the goal in my eyes. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're talking about that IFS lens, I, I don't understand. I mean, I don't have a lot of background IFS, obviously, but as I understand it, you're really teaching them that there's, we all have different parts of ourselves, but those parts, one part of yourself doesn't define your whole. Um, And so we can talk about the part of ourselves that loses control when X happens. But again, you know, teaching that agency and executive functions, okay, let's talk about it. Let's deconstruct it. Let's objectify it step away from it for a second so we can kind of come back and move forward on this. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I wanted to go back again to the, my, okay. So I have a, I have a sense when you worked as a, as a teacher, was it in a private program? So I it was, yeah, it was a private school. I'm saying okay. otherwise I would have had to get all oh, the state teacher. You know, right. I, I, was, I figured, I figured it must've been yeah, a private I was school. in New York as a teacher, but not in this. I wasn't, no. Right. Was it a general school. education, uh, self-contained? What kind of program was it? I mean, it was a dual education program and I would teach the, the teacher was on uh, maternity leave. So got it. uh, No, I'm sorry. It was sick leave, sick leave. Okay. Um, And so I was only teaching some of the, the, they had divided this teacher's classes into different times. So I was teaching, uh, you know, first grade 
for, you know, two hours in the morning. And then I did seventh and eighth grade in the afternoon. And so I really like felt like I got, you know, and then after that, I, I started teaching in high school. So I got to, um, you got a little bit of everything. That. Yeah. I'm so grateful for like, I really feel like blessed for the opportunities I've, I've been, you know, given in. Yeah. I mean, know, I think what given. I was getting at was like, had you, would you have been in the place you are now had you not had that opportunity to teach? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so because I don't think I would have, yeah, I don't think I would have yeah. realized, like, I, I knew that there was a challenge between trying to get what I was doing in the therapy session into the classroom, but I don't think I would have really realized what the teacher's dealing with. Like, I don't I think yeah. I would have realized what that's like to like, have to pay attention to, okay, my photocopies have to be in on Tuesday because the secretary leaves by four and I have to make sure that I have my attendance in and what, oh, the student can't have more than two tests on this day. So how do I figure out a review? Oh, they have a class trip at the same time. Oh, and these three kids in the class who have undiagnosed blah, blah, blah are not being treated. And how do I yeah. run a classroom with that? And, you know, it's just incredible what our teachers are dealing with and um, the support that 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 they need yeah. is also incredible and and most are not getting honestly. yeah I, I i i've never taught before but early in my career working in the schools i used to say to myself oh i can build a better mousetrap if i did this um i would take this this and that so now i got to the point in my career i was like i don't know i'm like i don't know what these guys go through and my guess is and actually I, i've come to the conclusion that um my work is better as a therapist than it whatever would be as as leading an entire classroom. That's just not who I am. So I give them a lot of credit. And and in fact, I don't think I could do what they do. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I no longer say my job is harder or easier. It's just different. It really is a different, it's a different lens altogether. But um, yeah. I love I, that I, humility. Yeah, I, I, but I do have that feeling like you probably would not have had that perspective had you not been in the classroom to see what it is that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, right, so it's right. A, it, was, it was a good experience for you, I'm guessing. Um, now, I, I wanted to kind of segue over to, you know, on, on your website, uh, the bubble space, right? Dot net. Right. That's, that's my, uh, that's from when I was doing private practice. Now I'm, I'm mostly doing, yeah, skills for connection, okay. which is really focused on the school, the school, you know, social emotional learning RTI, where I'm training staff members and, you know, the whole staff and teachers all the way to the therapist, uh, yeah. everybody. And then also I have the cohort, the therapist cohort, yeah. I'm training therapists to become the liaison in their schools to promote this. Oh, okay. Their teachers can get the support. Yeah. All right. Nice. So my, my thing is I've, I've never been uh, deep in the social cognition space because I work in an educational life skills program where we're just, you know, our, our nuts and bolts are really about teaching language. We have a lot of AAC users. That being said, we have uh, a very heterogeneous population and we do have kids occasionally kind of uh, might fall in the social cognition space where we're ready to sort of teach some of those early concepts. But one of the biggest things, I, and I'm going to back up, I, use, I always use this analogy. When I, when I did work with adults for the short time that I did, I, I don't know if people still do this, but back in the day when you would work with someone, say, who had either brain, brain injury or a stroke, uh, right hemisphere kind of stuff, they had the, the, left, the, the people with the left neglect, right? And the therapy, this is back in the, in the 90s, so I, again, I don't know if people still do this, but what you would do is um, for the left neglect, they'd be looking at a piece of paper. And the, the prevailing therapy at the time was you would use a highlighter uh, for them to process what was going on the left side of the page. And mm -hmm. what my, again, I only did this for a couple of years. So what I would find is uh, inevitably is you would take the, the yellow highlighter, 
highlight areas on the left side of the page and say, go ahead and read or look at the symbols or shapes or whatever it was you're trying to get them to look at. And sure enough, they would see the highlighter and say, oh yeah, there it is. I see it now. And they'd be reading blah, blah, blah. blah. And then you try to fade the highlighter away. And the minute you took the highlighter away, they couldn't see it. And Mm -hmm. even though they might have other cognitive faculties, that left neglect was always there. Now, Mm -hmm. that's my analogy towards teaching social cognition is that you can, for again, for a little experience I have in this space, um, privately as well, it's that you're sort of teaching the why. And what I found is clients focusing on the what more than the why. And therefore, again, it's that generalization because they're coming back the next time and they're focusing more on the what. And you're trying to teach that underlying concept. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've seen with, with programs struggle with? Is that, I mean, to me, if, if I had a guess, that would be, my guess is the number one hardest part of social cognition is the why yes. and getting people to understand the why. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I'm doing because I was working, you know, that, that's what I saw again and again. And I saw like some programs would say like, okay, this is why you have to have the why because people won't like you or for practical, you know, approach. And like the, the programs that I saw that already existed, um, wonderful programs. I think that they're really great in helping a lot of people. But the things that I found that were hard for me when I was trying to use them with my students uh, was that challenge. I'd be working with a student with greetings. That's what I'm thinking of. And we did everything. We did the role playing because, you know, any concept without actually trying it out and actually doing it with your mouth and doing it with your eyes and getting it into those brain patterns of, you know, motor patterns uh, is ineffective without doing that. Um, so we were doing that and we had the whole thing. We did, we did puppets, we did the whole concept, etc. And, um, at the end of talking about greetings, he walked out of the room and didn't say bye to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I'm doing something wrong here. Yeah, Cause yeah. <laughs> technically Ooh. he knew the concepts, but it wasn't generalizing. And that was really, that's really the focus of skills for connection is yeah. that I really, really, re- the whole thing is about generalization. That's why it goes straight into the academic. It goes straight into the classroom, goes straight into the conversation. The way we engage has to, has to be built into these skills because without the generalization, without it going into, then it is just a theory. Um, right. I have this book, uh, Bubble Double that's coming out, which is like a visual curriculum. And the goal of it is to, um, the the concept that I came up with is actually after working with that specific student was I realized like the student didn't have any container to put all the skills in. Like there was no like common, like underlying theme that they understood, like what these rules, these random disparate things that I kept telling him and insisting. And why does my mother keep telling me, look at me while I'm talking, like, why are they getting so annoyed about this? You know? And, and, he was really struggling and really suffering because he didn't understand like, why are they insisting on this way of communication and what does it do and et cetera. So I developed this um, visualization that's called um, the bubble space. That's why Hmm. that, you know, hence, and it's sort of this sacred space that two people share or even a larger group. And then the rules of social skills are sort of become the bubble rules. When you're engaging with another person, you're sharing space, you're sharing, um, you know, connecting with another person. These are the rules like to get in to this, you know, bubble password. How do you get into this bubble? You say hello. To get out of this bubble, you have to say goodbye. You know, how close is this bubble? How far is this bubble? What are the, you know, how, how do you engage with the bubble? How do you start the bubble? How do you, all these different things that um, 
are just, I put in context. So the book is coming out and it's really a tool for teachers, for therapists, parents have been using, you know, also the ones that I've uh, shown and to be able to really like help our students stop. It's for it to stop being about like, do this, do this, do this. And instead for the students to become empowered, like, oh, this is what it's about. This is why this is the whole, you know, the underlying premise that we're that's supporting all these things it's about connection it's not about i'm not going to get what i need yeah that's a practical thing but there's this amazing magical thing called connection when two human beings interact and share of themselves and understand the other in that give and take like when we see it as that which is really what it is instead of just an exchange of goods yeah uh, like okay you have to say this or they're going to think you're weird and then they're not going to sit next to you on the bus which is true it's not Mm -hmm. not true but it's just a different way of looking at it. it's like a more of a strength-based type of looking at it yeah that's I, really yeah I, so getting back to what you said earlier about that kind of wraparound service but making it part of the rti rti process making sure that it's not just you pulling a, a, a student a student into the therapy room but that the teachers have this knowledge too and you're you're talking about having them really integrating it with everything they're doing the entire school day whether yeah. they're getting ready for recess or whether they're doing a social studies uh, lesson um so that's an interesting aspect. That's why I, I actually like to see um, get under the hood and see more of your program. Um, even though it's not my my bread and butter, but I'm always interested in this kind of stuff. the The other thing, um, one thing I, I've I, I've uh, come into contact with again, very little in my career because this is not my not my wheelhouse exactly. But I've even had uh, other therapists kind of bring this up too. They'll have someone who's really really brilliant person. ADHD, and they'll they'll sit them down and say, you know, like, why is this important? Because you want to be able, to, you know, don't you want to be able to have friends, make connection? Oh, I don't really care about that. Yeah, I don't right. want. I don't need friends. Yeah, I see that all the time. I'm like, okay, so what do you do with that? How do you respond to someone who says, I don't need this, I don't need friends? Doesn't make any so, sense to me. So a hundred. First of all, a hundred percent. Like I also a bunch of things. Actually, I would like to respond. I've worked with students like this. Um, there's a a few different approaches to take. And really, I think that all of them need to be taken whenever you're engaging with, you know, anybody in that type of way. Um, One of them is the fact that when we talk to another person, we're also doing like it's kindness. Like there's a baseline of kindness when we engage with another person and trying to think like with, you know, one of the perspective taking constructs that we talk about is, you know, how do we how do we think about what the other person's experiencing? What is going on in their world? How can I be a kind person, a thoughtful person, an empathic person? If we were promoting that a little bit more nowadays, like that would really make the whole world a better place. Every person chooses to be a kind person, think about other people. There'd be a lot less honking on the streets and, you know, and worse, but uh, that type of, that type of thinking of like, okay, so like for me, it doesn't matter, but my mother really does care if I look her in the eye, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind to look her in the eye when I talk to her. It is a kind thing. So you might not have to do it. The other thing that I tell them is you don't have to use it. You don't have to use these skills, but you're not really choosing not to use it, especially if the, if the student is smart or the adult is smart. You, you're not choosing to use this or not use this because you don't really have the skills. Master the skills and then you decide if you want to use them or not. Because ultimately it's not my choice. As a therapist, it's never my choice if my student decides to use the skills or not. But my goal is to give them as many tools as possible. Um, a parent once I'm asked me, like, my, you know, their their child has um, autism, and so he, you know, on the spectrum, and he 
And the, the father asked me like, well, why can't I just say this is my child's way of relating to the world? And I said, you can, but as parents, as educators, we, we really want to give options. Like that's the whole idea of electives in college, thousands and thousands of dollars and hours and, you know, investment to give people choice. We want to give people choice. We want to give people options. So you don't have to use this tool, but you won't have a choice to use it if you don't know it. You brought up, I think, one of the hot button issues of these days. So you kind of um, mentioned as you were talking about the neurodiverse movement. Um, and there's been some of the animosity in working the social cognition space because, again, it comes down to, well, what about just acceptance? And, um, and, and I don't think it has to be an, an either or. It's, it's not as if no one's imposing anything. It's just talking about what's out there and the way that we, are, we act towards each other, the way we react to each other. And, and if anything, it's just being aware of it. Um, again, yes. like I said, you can choose. However, you know, we're not saying you don't need to be you. You are going to be you no matter what we do. But it's just, it's, it's a metacognitive tool. We just want right. you it's to have this. It's a skill. It's a skill. Exactly. Right. It just, we're giving you this, I, I want to give this metacognitive tool. We want to create a better world. Um, we're not saying that you're uh, defective in any way, but I think that's important that we all have these tools and that we're all learning. We're all on this journey together. None of us are perfect. But I, I also liked what you said before about it's almost like you're using a, almost like a Socratic method. We're saying, I understand that you don't think it's you don't need friends or that the, these skills aren't important, but don't you think it's important that we do try to you know create a better world? Don't you think it's important to consider other people's perspectives? Even if right now you don't feel like you need friends or you don't need connections, you know, do you think it might be something you'd want in the future? Um, and it doesn't have to be an answer that they might necessarily have to give you that day right then and there, but something to, for them to ponder. And, and there is space for it. That, what I find is like probably one of the big challenges is that is the lack of subtlety. One of the things we learn is about flexible thinking and the subtlety where it's not either accept me or I have to conform where there's like, there, there's, there's, you know, that's why I love about the, that it's called a spectrum nowadays, where it's not like either Asperger's or, you know, cognitive impairment or whatever, where, where there actually is fluidity, where there's a space where we can say, okay, let's as part of our process of growth, accept ourselves and also not have to be that. That's where we choose to be at the end of the day. Like any Olympian, anyone who's accomplished anything, what makes them so great is their struggle and is their process and is their overcoming. Mm -hmm. But when we start telling students, your, your, your struggle is your end line. That is the end line of where you're trying to go. We don't get to choose our, our results of success, but when we say like, you don't, don't, you shouldn't have to struggle or everyone needs to accept you and you don't have to do anything. We're not, we're not providing, um, we're not providing tools for them. That's not, that's not life tools. And the, any, they're not going to be able to sustain relationships because unless you figured out the trick, you know, and anyone who's listening, like if you figured out how to have a relationship without any work, then you need to write a book because you will be a bazillionaire. Mm -hmm. there, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist that people don't have to work on relationships. No one is perfect, including myself, including anybody. So anytime we're engaged, there's going to be that challenge. The more that we tell students, you don't need to work. You know, like the, people talk about like the microwave age, yeah. which I always think is funny because like every, you know, every generation says about whatever, but that's not the point. Like the point is really like that challenge. And um, Brene Brown talks about this being born to struggle, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's hardwired in our, in our DNA, like that 
to tell, to help encourage people where like, okay, you have, you have a challenge, accept yourself that you have this challenge. That doesn't therefore mean that it has to define you. And how do you not let it define you? Isn't just by like swimming in it. It's swimming in it with a direction. Like, okay, so how can I become a more thoughtful person? We wouldn't tell somebody. Yeah. Like we we wouldn't tell somebody who is, uh, you know, um, diagnosed, I don't know, with schizophrenia or something like that. We wouldn't Mm -hmm. tell them like, okay, so like, please indulge in your fantasies. You have a thought, indulge in it because they won't be able to have life for themselves. Right. They'll never get anywhere. Yeah. Friend, who's to say, okay, so how how could you tell them that's not a life? You know, maybe it is a life for Mm -hmm. them. We want to provide tools. I think that as, you know, as long as there is a direction of like, as helpers, how can we provide tools? People will always have choice. We don't take away people's choice and we don't want to take away anyone's choice, but we want to give people options. Like, well, the other thing is first, yeah. I was going to say the other thing, going back, the last thing I, I, I wanted to say about the, the case of the kid who doesn't feel that there's any need or want for um, mm-hmm. relationships is that in 99.9% of those cases, I think it's a lie. Not that they're, I don't, not that it's a volitional lie, but uh, every human needs connection. I, I think unless there's something fundamentally uh, very different about that person's brain, uh, again, we're talking about a sliver of half of 1%, uh, you know, everyone, whether they realize it or not, they all, everybody wants connections. Uh, I don't care where you are in the autism spectrum. Uh, for all those kids, pretty much, I don't think they're realizing what, when they're saying that, that they don't really mean it, that they, you know, it, it's a, I think it's a neuromaturity thing too, but I think that, uh, I don't think it's arrogant for us as providers to say, no, they do want connection. And you see it every day in the school. Right. So it's not, you know, but that's that's where they are right now. See, because attention is reinforcing. If attention wasn't reinforcing, then we would know that's not. But when you do provide attention, let's say people who are advocates of the floor time model, or even who are advocates of the ABA model, I know that's a very politically uh, heavy yeah. words to say, but uh, <laughs> I don't I don't feel like that. But let's say you know I know people do feel like that. Yeah. So when a person as let's say as their you know re- reinforcement gives attention, and that actually provides more. I actually learned that from um, Shoshana Bath. She was actually the one who taught me that concept where I was like, okay, well, maybe they don't really need my attention. They're very happy in their own playing. And she said, you'll see the more that the more that their defenses go down. And she doesn't only mean, you know, emotional defenses, but even regulatory defenses, like there's so much sensory input going in at this time. How can they? Um, I remember one of um, uh, another one of my supervisors had mentioned where the concept of like carrying capacity from like a biological perspective where like, let's say somebody is crossing the road, easy enough task. Now add rain and add an umbrella and add five grocery bags and ha- add a crying child and add another child holding, you know, holding on to them. Now that cha- that challenge of crossing the street has just become much more challenging. So when you have connection and there's all these rules of connection, these rules of relationship, these, these, uh, ways of being able to be a self and be able to acknowledge another and be able to relate to the other in a way that's respectful to yourself and respectful to the other in that a way that you can grow more closer together, which is connection. All when you have all these challenges of like, okay, you hear the fan in the background and you also have the back of your shirt is itching you. And also you have, um, y- your neurons are firing like 10 times faster than somebody else's neurons and also you're not getting so much sleep because it ha- it's hard for your body to relax any and also you have a sensitivity to foods when you're adding all those pieces together now that act of crossing the street which is 
seemingly an innocuous act becomes so much more challenging. So the more that we support our, our, our children understanding where they're coming from, that doesn't therefore mean like, okay, so they don't have to interact or they don't want to interact, but being able to provide those supports, like, okay, so let me make sure that my therapy room is white. If that's the research, if that's the research that you have found, you know, supports that, or let me make sure that my, there's tennis balls in the bottom of my desk, or let me make sure that, um, I, I know what time the parent, let's say gave the child their, their prescription. So I'm not trying to teach them these adding on harder skills when the student's, you know, medication is about to wear off or before it's kicked in, like being cognizant of where the other is. And that's really what we get to when we do these trainings is recognizing that as therapists, when we utilize these perspective taking skills, when we utilize these emotional regulation skills, we're able to deal with a tantruming student much, you know, with much more Mm -hmm. creativity and much more calm at least, at least calm, you know, let alone creativity yeah. and, you know, being able to process that. So the more that we as teachers and therapists and educators and parents, you know, I, I, I started out working with parents and I was doing in my, um, my, and I still do a little bit, but my one-to-one with my, my cases, I would work with the parents because I, I believe very strongly about generalization, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'd work with the teachers and all these things. And, I, I quickly found these parents are um, amazing, 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 like what they are dealing with. And I, I, I'm literally humbled by it. Speaking of humility, like I have utter respect for these parents, total and utter respect. I know for myself as a parent, you know, my child said, mommy, breathe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes that using those tools that I'm using for myself, like I need to improve in it and to help other students and understanding where they're coming from, giving them the tools to be able to live better lives. Just like I want to be a better parent, a better person, a better therapist, a better teacher, a better coach, all these different things that I'm doing. Like I need improvement. I don't, and I believe that supporting other people becoming better, the bigger selves is a beautiful, beautiful thing, not something to, you know, totally. Um, so I want to, before we uh, sign off today, I just wanted to ask you, when is your book coming out? So the book is literally like on the last stages. My graphic artist is just sending it out. It's going to be on Amazon. It's called Bubble Double. Uh-huh. And um, it's it's called Visualizing Social Skills. And that's the, that's the, like a, goes through all the different baseline social skills that students need. So the way that I use it is I'll, you know, the students can either read the whole book. It's, it's but it's it's a it has so much information that really the way I have in mind is that the student the teacher or the therapist will read one page they'll practice that page they'll mm-hmm. understand that page it's all very visual it's very friendly all the illustrations are situations that I've experienced as a teacher as a therapist that my friends have that my coworkers have that you know other ones that I've consulted with there it's a very very hands on it's very very practical okay. so that's coming out on Amazon and. I tried to I mean very inexpensive and your your target <laughs> audience is it is it teachers therapists parents everybody. Would you say my, my real target audience, audience is therapists. It's therapists because okay. I feel like um, because I feel like with SAL RTI, mm-hmm. the bird the bulk still falls out on the therapist. So a therapist that's training their their teachers how to do this, and mm-hmm. you know, supporting their teachers because that's part of our responsibility. You know, supporting our our you know, we're not just even though we only get paid usually for the actual therapy session. Um, reframing and recognizing that we really are leaders in the locations that we're working on and advocates for our students. And um, so I really do, I train 
you know, the cohort that I'm in right now, I have um, a, a speech therapist, a social worker, like a, a SEL leader in their school, another speech. Like it's just that my I I, I am just like my my main my main uh, the my main people that I'm training are therapists, but mm-hmm. I do do staff trainings. Like I you know just did a with a preschool and did a you know for the teachers how they can utilize this in their classrooms and and that was one of the things that they kept on saying was like whoa like I could use this and I'm like yeah I use it and I'm doing this all day long teaching other people and I use it you know it's yeah it's yeah. very helpful so I was going to ask you to, to wrap up how you know how is it going now uh the consulting within the schools with with the teachers are you, are they finding are you getting good feedback are you are they finding uh that they're able to use this as a wraparound kind of uh tool yeah, because I, because I worked so hard to make it something that is really really not hard to use. Yeah, like I, I when I was in the classroom, I didn't have any extra time to do something differently. But if I was anyways teaching my math class and I utilized the structure of thinking about it that supports perspective taking or supports cause and effect or supports sequencing or supports mm-hmm. conversation skills or supports main idea, all these language skills that we have that we're doing anyways, and I'm utilizing that within my regular academic lesson, then those students that, so students who don't necessarily need support, don't have an IEP, don't have a diagnosis, no, they're getting this extra support. And the students who are really struggling are not getting that those concepts reinforced, where it's not just this abstract concept in my therapy room, they're actually getting it reinforced. And then doing, um, my next thing that I want to do is start doing parent uh, trainings at night, which is oh, you wow. have to have parents on board to do that. But that way, they're getting it in their therapy session in the classroom and then parents also getting it. But right now I'm really focusing on therapists to become their school advocate. They're, you know, they're, they are the person that's training their teachers and creating this team environment, which is really social emotional learning is about seeing Mm -hmm. each other as, you know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it's very exciting. I uh, applaud you for doing this and, my God, I've never even thought about writing a book, but I can only imagine how difficult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never wanted to write the book. Honestly, <laughs> they say it's like saying, giving birth, <laughs> right? Like I, I didn't, like I didn't, well, I did want to do that, but I didn't want to write. That. I wasn't ever planning on being an author. It was never like one of my things. Like, and the idea came to me, and I saw that it was helping students, and I felt like I needed to share it. Yeah, I was like, I felt like responsible. <laughs> Maybe I, I chose to do something with that. Like, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say maybe uh, if you want to share a couple of pages or something like that, I can post on my website uh, a couple of graphics okay. or maybe right. a couple of examples of what it uh, what it's gonna look like when it comes out. I think that'd be kind of cool. Okay. But yeah, but thank you for being on the show today. I can't wait to see the book, and I wish you luck with uh, all of your endeavors. I hope I uh, continue you. to spread the good word. Thank you, Jeffrey. It was really yeah. a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Miriam, for being a guest on today's show. If you'd like to find out more about what Miriam does or get a hold of her, her website is skillsforconnection.com. Miriam is available to work with school districts, teachers, therapists, etc., so feel free to reach out. As I mentioned earlier, please check out the show's sponsor, simplepractice.com. New users of Simple Practice can sign up to receive two months for the price of one. Just go to simplepractice.com forward slash conversations in speech. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews are always appreciated. If you'd like to get a hold of me for any reason, you can do so. Jeff at conversationsinspeech.com. Feel free to send me show suggestions, comments, feedback on my current episodes. I read everything. Thank you so much. See you next time.